Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Wonder no more. Welcome to Table Read Podcast, where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this, talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine. Welcome to Bitches on Comics. It's me again, Sarah Century, and I am here with my co-host. Hello, dear friends, lovers, enemies, whatever you feel like you are. I'm Essie Fleenor, and I'm super duper pumped today because we have an amazing creative writing team here with us. The authors of Renegade Rule, we have Ben Kahn and Rachel Silverstein. Ben and Rachel, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. We're so excited to be on. So happy. I'm just like, I cannot wait to talk about Renegade Rule. But first, but first. <laughs> so, Rachel, this is, uh, you're new to the pod. We've had Ben on before. But, Rachel, you know, I would love to hear just a little bit about you, what your deal is, and then where people can find you on social. And then we'll do Ben after that. Sure. So, I guess to start off my social, I'm mostly on Twitter at Flirty Mango. And, <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> nice name. Well known to be the flirtiest of all fruits. <laughs> you'd think it'd be the passion fruit you'd be wrong passion fruit is ace <laughs> what's great about it is that i can be flirty mango or i could be dirty mango and then when i turn 30 i'll be 30 mango <laughs> i like it it's never gonna never gonna end exactly but anyway so i guess just a, a little background i this always boggles people's minds but i have a master's in paleontology uh yeah <laughs> and a law degree my mind. and I just finished law school Rachel is without what? a doubt the single most educated person I've ever met yeah um. I, yeah so I've done some cool things with paleontology and then I've mostly cried the last three years in law school but it's over now I took the bar uh, a couple weeks ago so happy to be done with all that I, I'm just like flabbergasted. Yeah. I'm like, I was flabbergasted with paleontology. Yeah. I think I actually did know about the law part, but I didn't know you were like just like freshly minted. I did not freshly realize minted. that. I'm trying to push her to make a comic about a mammoth lawyer because I feel like no one on the entire planet is qualified, is better qualified to do that exact premise. I would love that. Oh my God. Oh my I God. Love that. Okay, when that, when that comic comes out, Please call us. Like, obviously, we'll have you on the pod. Um, amazing. Wow, Rachel. And this is your first comic work. Is that correct? This is my first published comic work. Yep. Congratulations. Dang. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, so amazing. Ben, why don't you tell us where we can find you on social and just, a, a you know, a quick and dirty of uh, the Ben experience? Yeah. So you can find me. Uh, I'm mostly on Twitter at, at Ben the Con. Uh, I'm mostly just posting random superhero takes and jokes that I come up with or or just gushing about JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Hannibal or Fast and Furious. <laughs> I feel like that covers the trifecta of the fandom. And some Lucifer. You get some Lucifer in there, of course. Really, anytime it's creepy spooky but also a mystery of the week format like i'm there 
Um, I wanted to note that the episode that Ben was on before is episode 28, which is titled Cat Picks and the Creative Process. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, so uh, Renegade Rule is my upcoming uh, graphic novel. I had a few other books come out before this. Uh, Shaman, uh, Heavenly Blues with Scout Comics and Griffin Galaxy's Most Wanted with SBI Press. Uh, you can, uh, if you go to bencomics.com or my author page on Comixology, you can find handy dandy links to digital and print versions of all them fun books. Amazing. And, you know, we were we were so delighted last time we had you on to really talk about in depth, Griffin, but also get into Shaman and a little bit of Heavenly Blues. All great works. I also really appreciate the way that you've talked about how the the comics do and don't align with your own, you know, coming out journey around being non-binary. So um, that is an episode not to be missed, as Sarah said, number 28. So make sure you check it out. Yeah. And I can definitely tell you, Renegade Rule is I was writing Renegade Rule with Rachel when I really had my real coming out process and figuring it all out. And I definitely think working on Renegade Rule uh, kind of helped me get to some of those final steps of figuring out being non-binary. Yeah, that's beautiful. Dang. How did this project come together? Like, how did you all start talking about it? Rachel, is it okay if I take that uh, to start? Yeah, go for it. Go for it. So... I think it mostly started with I really wanted to work with Rachel. It really just started out as I want to work on a comic with Rachel. She's too talented and funny. I want to work with that funny talent. Uh, so I was trying Aww. to come up with uh, a title that uh, Rachel might be interested in writing. So I thought, well, what is Rachel into? I know. Overwatch and girls. <laughs> And then it kind of just snowballed from there. <laughs> I love that. I think some of the best, I've heard a lot of authors talk about their books, both graphic and, and uh, text-based. I never know what to call like other books. I'm like, you know, the other kind of book. The not as good kind. The kind that isn't comics, <laughs> which is hilarious because that's the kind I write. Prose. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the textual ones. <laughs> but a lot of, uh, you know, the ones that I like the most, the authors are like, oh, I had three words. You know, I knew three words about what this book was going to be. And that's how it started. So I love that you were like, hmm, how do I entice my friend to write this book with me? <laughs> that's a great way to come up with a pitch, right? Yeah. I was like, what, what's a book that we would just have a blast co-writing? <laughs> I love it. And Rachel, do you want to give us like the high overview, sort of like what is Renegade Rule about? Oh yeah, definitely. So it's basically a queer best friend story, sports story of these best friends who are on a professional esports team and are trying to work their way up the ranks to make it to the finals of the Renegade Rule tournament. And so we're talking esports, you know, it's it's also um like I would say near future setting, is that fair? Cuz the technology is obviously far advanced from what we have. Yeah. Yeah. It's a VR game where uh, a few spoilers right off the bat. At no point are they ever trapped in the game, nor do they die in the real world <laughs> if they die in the game. Neither of those things happen. 
I love it. Well, that's what you expect, right? We've come to expect those sort of stakes. So there's these great moments in the narrative where you subvert that, where, um, and I can't remember his name, but like the announcer is like, That's just his name. The game, He's the announcer. Oh, well, there you go. If you die in the game, you die in real life. And everyone's like, what? And he's like, I just go with it. Please just go with it. <laughs> oh. I love that. So how, so, you know, you came, you started with Overwatch and girls, which like, hey, who doesn't like that? So how did you get to this, you know, this VR game in this sort of near future setting? How did that come from, you know, Overwatch Girls? We started with Overwatch Girls, and then we were like, okay, what's next? Let's think of how the game works and the main characters. How are we going to have, what are their classes going to be? And we pretty much started with that. We wanted kind of the stereotypical classes in a first-person shooter. So we had the sniper the heavy, the team captain, and the healer, and take it over. (laughs) So there was definitely the element of the characters just being the foundation. So I think, you know, I'm this big proponent of, oh, if you have three main characters, then you do the ego-super-ego dynamic. If it's five characters, then you match them to the Power Rangers archetypes. (laughs) I love that so much. (laughs) You're like, oh, ego, super ego. Ah, next is Power Rangers. <laughs> you know, Freud, so Haim Saban, the same diff. <laughs> Both of them equally relevant to modern day psychology. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely noticing some Power Ranger themes that maybe I didn't realize the first time I was reading through now. So I definitely was, had it just, again, just trying to establish the theme of like, okay, well, we need the angry one, but what if the heal? Like, but we also need the healer. So, what if the angry one is the healer? Which I love. I love that. That's so cool because that never happens, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's like, well, what if instead? Well, okay. Well, we need our, you know, our Michelangelo esque, like, you know, our fun class clown of the team. But what if instead of the super like cold focus sniper, we just had a go- we just had a big old goofball sniper? <laughs> so I think we had a lot of fun, kind of just mixing and matching personality types with the class types for the funniest contrast. And then for me, a big part of the appeal was definitely that it's a sports story at its heart. You know, it follows a tournament structure of rules like we see, uh, you know, some training during it. So as someone who, you know, grew up with Mighty Ducks, remember the Titans, uh, and then, you know, getting, I got into sports manga like Shield 21 and Haikyuu, I uh, see there was such an appeal of doing that kind of sports story where on the surface, the stakes are low, but like the conflict is pure and the character stakes can be so high. So there's the VR element, but that's because it's more fun to have them actually doing lasers and explosions instead of with the controllers. But I feel like it has more in common with something like uh, Haikyuu than it does, say, Sword Art Online. I love that. You know, the vibe is so important. You know, it's so important to the comic. It's, you know, the colors are really bright. It's got that high-tech feel, but it's got that that super comedy feel, too, that, that it just really, it all comes together to make it so much funnier, so much more engaging, and it's truly just very beautiful so i'm just curious how did you come up with like your your vibe like how did you know what you wanted people to feel and sort of uh uh, how visually you wanted to communicate that 
I think we can't give enough credit in the world to uh, Sam Beck, who did the art and colors on this book. I mean, she's just absolutely amazing. Yeah, she is. I was just now like looking back over this and wondering if the colors had been done by the same person. And they are so, so good. It matches so well and it gives it kind of this like arcade-ish feeling. She just nailed the feel. Like, Rachel, it was really you who uh, found her art first. And the moment we saw, uh, like, especially you saw her, like, it was just like, yeah, that's what the book looks like. And we just sent her a cold email. I, B and I had been going through a couple artists that we were considering reaching out to. It was on Twitter. I saw, like, someone retweeted one of her posts or something. And I sent the link to B and I said, this is the artist we need. <laughs> and it it worked out and... I'm so happy it did. Sam's amazing. The backgrounds and like the game maps are so different and detailed and have their own great feels and vibes and looks to them. The action is like she just nails all the action and the characters, like their faces, the emotion she's able to give like all of these characters like... I'm so proud of the script me and Rachel made, but it's really Sam who brought the, these girls to life. Yeah, the art for this comic is incredible. And I would say that it's kind of, yeah, it's so immediately captivating that it really does draw you into the story so fast. Also, I really like the beginning. I like stories that just kind of drop you into chaos. So uh, was that kind of like an intentional thing? Because I noticed that you have started stories in the middle of chaos before, <laughs> now that I think about Griffin as well. I think for this one especially, once the opening line of quit dying, you stupid bitches, was <laughs> on the table, there was no veering away from that. <laughs> like, once, once that's the possibility of an opening line, yeah, we knew page one, splash page, panel one, Sasha tearing up, like, no matter what else we're rewriting, this page one is staying exactly the effing same. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this podcast, so I went with oh, Evan. If you don't swear on this podcast, you actually have to leave. So We oh, send you an email that right. just says fuck 700 times. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry. No, I, lo I love the, the opening panel is so funny. And and Sarah's right. You know, I, I do remember that from Griffin as well, getting sort of just dropped in. Uh -huh. And you're like, oh, like immediately I was like, oh, right. I read a lot of comics. We're in like a fantasy land. And, but okay, why does she have like the, I don't remember what you call that gun, but you know, the one with all the bullets, the big gun. Why does she have that big gun? <laughs> the, you know, yeah. and then it sort of like slowly pieces together. You're like, oh my God, this is so sweet and funny. And I really love how different all the characters are and that, you know, someone can be just really angry and everyone's just like, oh, she's angry. It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's me. <laughs> I mean, there was definitely that sense. Like, I mean, I grew up when the first two Halo games, like, released and were at the height of it. So I can think of years where just weekend after weekend spent, like, you know, four of us crammed in a friend's house just playing Halo at, like, all hours of the night and just every bit of, frustration with like the team and the yelling at each other and do a better and it was just trying to capture a little bit of that experience of just the long night spent gaming with friends oh i had my mic off you couldn't hear me i went mm, when you said that because it does have that feeling of you know i'm, I'm not a big gamer my partner i've just gotten into video games 
during the pandemic because we're like, oh shit, we ran out of TV and movies. Like, what are we going to do? Video games. That's a mood. <laughs> yeah. I just, you know what I did at the start of this pandemic? I decided now is the perfect time. I'm going to catch every Pokemon. That's ambitious. <laughs> all of them. You got to catch them all. That's like the saying. Not just the original 150. I mean, all the way through generation eight. Okay. How, how close are you to your goal? So I got all of them and then they released more in the DLC. So now I have to replay the DLC on a different Switch account so I can catch the legendary Pokemon that I didn't catch on my main playthrough. That is hysterical. I love that for you. I get motion sick from video games, but I've been playing a Deadpool game that is very funny, but then it made me so sick I had to stop. So I have to like take it in like little chunks. <laughs> That's me with horror games. Yes. Oh my gosh. I can watch horror movies all day long, plugging my horror movie podcast, Progressively Horrified, new episodes every Friday. Horror games, I can do like 20 minutes at a time. I tried for my first game to play The Walking Dead, like one of the ones where it's like first person. <laughs> and my partner and I had nightmares for like a week. So oh um, I'm with you on that. Like apparently putting myself into a horror is not good for my psyche. <laughs> so, so much scarier. Oh my gosh. It's like you're watching Halloween. You can yell at Jamie Lee Curtis, turn around. Yes, exactly. But when you're the one who should be turning around, but you don't know it till you've been bit by a zombie, yeah, it's a little different. Silent Hill, my absolute favorite video game franchise that I have never played. <laughs> I love it. Hey listeners, thanks for being with us here today. Maybe you don't know, but Sarah and I actually run a whole host of projects. This is Essie. Hopefully you know my voice, because I probably introduced myself in this episode, but who knows? Mm, better do it again. Yeah, why not? And we actually have a publishing house called Queerspec. You can always go check it out. It's at queerspec.com. And that's where we host this podcast, Bitches on Comics, another cool podcast we're working on called Tales of the Sapphire Bay Hotel. If you want to know more, go to queerspec.com. And we have this very cool project called Decoded Pride. Decoded Pride is our story a day anthology of LGBTQ stories by LGBTQ creators. We're an independent series of projects, so everything that we fund, we fund ourselves. So that means that Sarah and I are out here hustling as freelancers. We're making money and sending it right into our other projects. And also eating sometimes. Sometimes. Mm, ramen. Mmm, delicious. So Dakota Pride is amazing. I mean, we have so many stories by so many diverse voices. We have so many gender variant authors that we're publishing. We've got comics, science fiction, fantasy, horror, the whole shebang. And you can just go check us out at dakotapride.com. Go buy a subscription right now. We want you to be with us reading these stories and helping prove there's an audience for queer stories by queer creators. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. 
It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Do you like science fiction? I'm Carrie Bechet, and if you loved movies like Arrival or Interstellar, then you're going to want to check out my podcast, Hypothetical. On Hypothetical, we tell speculative sci-fi stories interwoven with real science. New episodes every Tuesday, available wherever you get podcasts. You know, you're clearly like you're nerds, right? Like you're nerds, you love video games, you love community and nerd community. So tell me about how you infused this with with that love. How did that love show up in panel for you? I mean, we totally just did it where we had the girls in game playing the video game and then the girls out of the game talking about video games. So it's pretty much just that is the overarching theme of the entire book and we wanted to make it where uh, obviously a lot of people still are not down with the gamer girls which is bs if you ask me and we wanted to make it so that gamer girls felt like welcome and we're looking out for everyone there this is like there's versions of this story where it is maybe a more realistic look at the systemic problems and toxicity that happen at the competitive level of gaming and everything going on that. And I really hope that story is being told. I think I saw something about Elliot Page is going to be in something uh, that sounds very kind of like that premise. But Renegade Rule, it's meant to be just like feel good, hang out with your friends time. We wanted to present a vision of pro gaming where women and queer people and people of color are unquestionably and universally accepted. I mean, this is a comic where our main rival, our number one game player in America is a Puerto Rican lesbian, and that wasn't an accident. Yeah, I I really... You get that sense when you read it. Like, I am all about as many kinds of queer stories as we can tell, personally. Like, I'll watch the Ammonite, and I'll blow my eyes out. And, you know, I'll watch the Birds of Prey, and I'll ship Harley with whoever is on screen. I will do all of it. And I think what you've provided here is a queer story that gets to not be about the bad things. It gets to be about, like, what are these people passionate about? And I, I frequently hear queer people, including myself, say, you know, I just I just want to do what I want to do. I don't want to have to fight to, like, make every aspect of the world more accessible to me, you know? I don't want to correct people when they screw up my pronouns. I hate it. It's not fun for me. I will because I have to. But in, a, in the worlds I create, nobody's getting misgendered, right? And that's what I see here, too, is, is it's— it's queer in a very real way, but it's also without those layers of of discrimination and coming out and all those stories that I would say make up the bulk of queer media. And I think that's what makes it such a refreshing story. Yeah, I mean, I love a meaningful coming out story and all the stories, you know, some the uh, the stories you talked about, you mentioned, but we really went into this with like, 
what if we just had an unabashedly queer like action comedy where they get to be really badass and tell really funny raunchy jokes and and they're really queer and they don't have to apologize or explain it like it's just the world is there for them and we can just focus on them being funny badasses yeah and they um the scene where the girl needs to learn how to flirt is definitely um i think we've all been <laughs> either that person or there for that person at some point in our lives or both often both um <laughs> i think with a lot of queer rap kind of across across medium is you still see a lot of the oh here's the one queer person in a group full of straight right. characters always and boy how not actually relatable is that to the queer experience <laughs> so Harvey was just trying to present like in fiction a believable feeling uh queer friend group right I would do anything for my straight friend group, <laughs> but then it's like, <laughs> but I won't in do real that. life. You, uh, there's usually more more going on in your friend group <laughs> than just uh, just a group of straights. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you're sighing as you say it, just like so exasperated. Because I think I've, I have definitely, obviously, I'm sure everybody, <laughs> I have been the only gay person in a group of straights many times in my life. But also there is something to be said about like the references all make sense. And like, you know, it feels more like you can sort of relax and stuff and not have to kind of go into a long explainer. So I think that that comes across really well in this comic. Well, thank you. So glad. So we talked a little bit about for you, Ben, how your your journey to coming out as non-binary sort of happened as you were already creating comics and how that has changed your comics as they have come out as well. And I'm curious, you mentioned that Renegade Rule was kind of, it was an important moment in that experience. And I was wondering if you'd be willing to share with us just a little bit about that and to whatever degree you're comfortable. Yeah, I mean, gender was something I'd definitely been wrestling with at that time it was you know I was kind of coming to the end point of a you know things needing to be at its maximum worst before it can start to get better if that makes sense um but kind of working on this and just um and you know just immersing myself in these characters in these queer women in their experiences and their lives and as their and how they interact with each other and their friendship and this I'm just going to be a little talky mumbly in circles I feel but really just that you know the level of just trying to identify and get in the character's head uh, so much of just getting in the heads of these uh, queer women uh, just kind of crystallized also a lot of what I was feeling at the time in terms of what felt most right to me. Totally. And, and you and I have talked before, Ben, about like the term sapphic and how that, that term feels sometimes like it's not accessible to non-binary people. And then sometimes how it feels like it's the only right term to describe certain aspects. And I think that's what I felt when I read a lot of this comic is it just felt very sapphic in the most like most generous, broadest definition. 
And that's, you know, I, I, what you said really resonates because I was sort of, you know, I know you a little bit better so, than, than Rachel, but I, I want to ask Rachel about this as well. But, you know, so I could kind of see these connections that I felt like you were making. So you just made me feel like, aha, I did understand the comic. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's so, really, it's really gay. <laughs> I believe a note I wrote down was so gay. Um, Rachel, how does it, you know, Ben's first stories weren't particularly gay. Your first story out of the gate is super queer. I'm curious, how does that feel? Was that important to you that your first story be super queer? And has has writing this and writing about this group of sapphic friends, has it at all, you know, informed or, or influenced or is it a reflection of your own experiences? Well, I don't think that as a budding comic writer now, looking to the future, I can't imagine myself, unless it's like a franchise, writing something that isn't queer, just because that's how I identify and that's the kind of content that I would like to read. So that's what I want to put out. And with Renegade Rule, I just knew that with B&I being two queer people, that Renegade Rule was definitely something that we knew that we would both enjoy reading. And I think that's what made it so much fun to write was that we wanted something that would represent us in our queerness. And I feel like that was kind of the birthing of our child, our, our queer comic baby. The queer comic readers, I feel like, are absolutely the main audience. We wrote this for them. This is a love letter to video games and queer friendship. But in terms of trying to be a little outside of the typical kind of coming out story or the traditional queer narratives. I do feel like there was this attempt of just kind of trying to kick the door down and being like, hey, straight bros, you like action comedy? Well, guess what? We got that action comedy and you're going to have to just deal with the gay parts of it. <laughs> um, and just trying to make a story that's just primarily for and by queer people, but hopefully the friendships just are strong enough to kind of transcend gender and orientation. And I think anybody of any gender of any orientation can enjoy just the phenomenal work that Sam Beck does in this book. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I, I, I think that, you know, who, how can I say I'm like a non-binary queer person? <laughs> so it's like, this book was made for me. <laughs> exact demographic. So of course I love it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, you were picturing me, right? You must have yeah. been. Yeah, that is what it feels you like. Specifically. <laughs> Perfect. All this time, I was we were when we were doing a lot of the writing, I'm like, but Rachel, is SE going to like this joke? I'm not sure. <laughs> I assumed as much. I assumed as much. Because <laughs> when we get to Josie and her boyfriend and like the double bi relationship, I died. My partner and I are both bi and some of the conversations they have, I'm like, I have had that conversation at a bar where we're like, who's hotter, that guy or that girl? <laughs> like, which person do I think is cuter? And then being like, I think you're the cutest and it's cheesy, but it's also my life. So I did feel like you wrote this for me. So that was, Sam. you know, especially I'm uh, kind of more of a non-binary um, with uh, my partner as a woman, uh, there's a certain, like, especially if I'm not in my preferred presentation, if I'm kind of in a position where either forced to be or I just didn't feel like making the effort it takes to be fully femmed out because it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. uh, it can be a straight-seeming relationship and 
you know, there's privilege to that, but there's also a loss of identity in that. So I think that was definitely one of the goals of uh, Jesse and her boyfriend was to have a kind of a mixed gender couple that is still so undeniably queer. I think it's really beautiful. And, and you know, on, on that point, particularly when we talk about bi people, when we talk about, you know, the privilege of passing as straight, but then we look at actually the mental health and physical health outcomes for bi people. It's like, oh, this great privilege I have is killing me. So I don't feel so privileged personally. This amazing privilege of nobody seeing you for who you are. Yeah. So I, I you know, I, I obviously I understand your point and I do understand what people say that sometimes, but I'm like, man, I don't know. I feel like most privileges don't come with that much, uh, you know, horrible, horrible shit as well. So I think it's important. I don't think, you know, I think, whenever inevitably it goes viral, right? Some asshole is like, oh, the straight girls are using partner. And you're like, oh, do I have to see this argument again? Because then you got to have all the takes on it and everybody's Mm -hmm. like, here's my take and here's my take. And I just, I really, I feel for all the people, I just have to ignore that kind of discourse sometimes. I'm like, I can't. I just can't get my bisexual ass out of bed to deal with this. Mm -hmm. But I I do see a lot of people responding with a lot of anguish to that and saying, like, why? There's so many reasons someone would use partner. If their partner's non-binary, if their partner is not out and queer, if if they just don't want you to know the gender of their partner for any number of reasons. Like, my partner has been, you know, experimenting with pronouns, and that has been a beautiful part of their experience, and they're, they're coming out as non-binary. And... And there have been times where if I had used any specific term besides partner, it would have been misgendering or it would have been outing. And neither of those is my thing to do. So I think that's what's so important about this representation. And, and, and you know, and I'm just picking one of, of many in this book, but it's just there's so much love for the queer characters. And there's so much you have such good intentions toward them. And I think it's partially because you see yourselves in them, but it just feels so good to read. I just love this this comic. I think it is so fun. So I'm going to say light, but I mean light not as in like, you know, popcorn light. I mean light as in airy and free. And I just think that is such a, it's so needed. You can't see it because we're doing the podcast. And uh, but I am just blushing super hard right now hearing that. So thank you. I, I'm getting that joy. That's for damn sure. Also that shirt by Furious. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I cannot handle it. I want to buy Furious shirt now. So let me know when the merch is up. Um. <laughs> Everyone, Patreon is such an amazing platform. I like to subscribe to artists and support them and stuff. And often I get a bunch of free content. Guess what? We have a Patreon and we give a bunch of free content. You could go to our website patreon.com slash bitches on comics which once again you have to spell out b-i-t-c-e-n-h-e-s-o-n-c-o-m-i-c-s yeah s is the one that can do that part um because i did a lot of takes to learn it you did you did i remember sitting with you it was like watching somebody train for the olympics and you've never gotten it wrong since like you've never gotten it wrong since so I, however, fucking lazy, just doing whatever I want in life. Um, 
<laughs> don't have it together. Can't say the name of the Patreon you're supposed to go to, but do wish you'd go check it out. <laughs> You can join us for as little as $2 a month, as much as money as you got in the bank every month. Like, don't, like, not take care of yourself, but oh yeah, we would take it. We love this podcast. We want to do it forever. Help us out. Support us. Again, we're at patreon.com slash bitchesoncomics. You have to spell it out because if you don't, it won't pull up. You can't, like, go to patreon.com and be like, I'm going to look for some bitches because we will not show up because we do content that involves F-bombs. We have our intoxicated comics where we enjoy some sweet refreshments, <laughs> did, and then talk about comics. So Definitely talk about weed. There's a reason. Yeah. It's a den of vice over here. <laughs> about the release for this because it's been a little bit different, right? Like you had one issue come out, is that correct? Yeah, so we just made the first issue and that was a sense of come hell or high water, we just want to make a comic. Let's just at least make the first issue and see what we can do with it. So we kind of, we debuted it at FlameCon. Oh, geez, Rachel, what year was it? 2018 at FlameCon, we debuted it. Uh, Selling it for a dollar. because j- I just wanted people to read it. So I actually sold it at a loss, that first issue, just because I just wanted it to be out in people's hands. And then, you know, we went through the whole pitching phase, uh, you know, pitched it around to a few places. Uh, didn't quite get the answer we hoped for. But then uh, I kind of sent it, I sent it to Dark Horse, not even as a pitch into itself. I sent it as part of a writing portfolio, uh, that first issue. And then the editor I sent it to came back with, hey, this thing you had in the portfolio, do you have a pitch for that? And it kind of just went from there. And um, yeah, we ended up partnering with Dark Horse. And while we released it as a first issue, um, you know, I think you just look at the you know really the audience that this book is for you look at where the market is i think releasing it as an ogn just makes the most sense absolutely i i agree i think that i was so happy to have it in a volume you know from from jump to just be able to be like okay okay because like it kind of feels like by the end of issue one i finally have a grasp on who everyone is and what they're doing and you know that's the challenge always of team up books um, although, you know, this isn't, they, they are a team. They're not teaming up, but you know what I mean. And I really liked it in the graphic novel form. I'm, you know, the OGN form. So, um, but you've done a couple of books this way. Is that not, is that true, Ben? Or were yours all issues? So my first book uh, was Shaman, which came out all at once, but that was really divided. In, that was very much five issues just bundled together. And then Heavenly Blues came out in single issues in stores. And then Griffin, we decided to have some fun with the comicsology format and do half-issue releases. So it's just like, what if the pacing was super fast all the time? <laughs> Which was a lot of fun. <laughs> so after Shaman, yeah, Renegade Rule is my first uh, real OGN. Uh, and it's kind of the first thing that I've had, I have coming out that was written... Uh, after that issue one, I was really written to be an OGN. And then uh, my other book I have coming out this year, which just got announced, 
is a OGN uh, tie-in to Immortals Phoenix Rising, the open-world game from Ubisoft. Cool. That's sweet. That was a really fun one. Because uh, that ended up being my first work-for-hire job, working on Immortals uh, Phoenix Rising. And uh, Ubisoft was fantastic. Like They kind of came in, we worked together, and we found such an interesting kind of slice of the story on the timeline that they have planned and such fun characters to introduce and explore. So it was just a super great uh, creative process working with them on it. Dang, that sounds so fun. So I was wondering, and this is a question for both of you, was there anything that you didn't get to fit into the comic? Was there anything that got left on the cutting room floor and it didn't quite make it and you wanted it to be in, but it just didn't, it didn't work? There were a couple scenes that we had planned out that did get cut, but in hindsight, I feel like everything that's in the, I mean, this is just me personally, but I feel like everything that's in the book worked in the way that might not have been what we imagined from the beginning, but I think that it's just, it came out so perfect to me. Yeah, I think the pacing ended up being right, and I think it was really the right length. I think in our original outline, um, I think one of the rounds, I think the second round of the tournament was a little bit longer and we had a little bit more between the semifinals and the finals. But, uh, you know, I think when it came time, it was, uh, you know, I think we ended up being able to make the story work probably even just better and leaner and with some nicer pacing uh, with the format that we had. I th- I would agree with you 100%. Yeah, I ask, I'm currently like doing a bunch of writing where I'm just essentially completely dropping so, so many things. So I just assume that every every writer is constantly like chopping random parts of their yeah. story, I guess. Um, but that that's, that's what makes it work, right? Like 100%, yeah. like that's the part that makes it be better. Uh, there's definitely ones where you feel a little like... Uh, maybe like a tear, <laughs> like one tear slides down your cheek or whatever, um, whenever you cut that part. But there was definitely a little bit of like, you know, when we were going back, it's like, oh, okay. Well, I guess there's still, a, there's a little bit more action, but is this changing any of the character arcs or advancing anything that like or is it just a little bit more fun action (laughs) and this comic is full of fun action so i'm kind of curious too because i know this is something that you know for you ben we've talked to you before about the dynamic nature of the action scenes that you write but yeah i was just curious how kind of like choreographing these scenes worked out for for you two uh, sometimes we physically choreograph. <laughs> uh, there is a scene where Jesse, where Jesse the sniper, yes, I was hoping you would talk about this. <laughs> drags Sasha, uh, the healer who's been knocked out in order to set up a trap. Uh, we literally, like, I was dragging Rachel across the floor. And we were testing out, like, should she be holding her by the wrist? Is it funnier if she's dragging her by the ankle? Like, what's the funniest way to drag somebody across a floor? I think you found it. I think you found the funniest way. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, like, a lot of the reference images are just us making silly faces at each other. And we put them into the script. Like, we, we oh, yeah. would make a face and be like, oh, well will Sam be able to draw this in the way that we're trying to describe it? Or we'd be like, well, we don't know how to describe it. So we would just take screenshots of each other and paste them into the script. And Sam did an amazing job just capturing (laughs) 
one of our dumb faces. The writing process was so much fun because it really like every panel description, every line of dialogue was the two of us either in the same room or doing a video chat. And, you know, as much as it was trying to advance the characters in the story, so much of it just became us trying to one up each other and make the other one laugh as hard as we could. I was going to ask if there was any unique challenges because was this the first time that you co-wrote a script? Is that correct or no? Yeah, this was my first real time co-writing. Yeah, I was going to ask if there was anything that would that you had to adjust to, but it sounds like instead it just kind of was a party. <laughs> so mu- we joke so much of the dialogue starts out as one of us going, "Look, I'm not saying the character actually say this, but wouldn't it be funny if they said blah blah blah?" And then the other going like, oh my God, that's hilarious. No, we're putting it in the book. Write it down. That's going in. (laughs) It was a little bit of that and a little bit of, can we really get away with saying this? Let's try and see what happens. So yeah, it really, it felt like a little bit of a two-person writer's room. We were writing for each other as much as anything else. And I think that really helped with just the feel of the book is that Even the writing process was two queer friends hanging out and having a fun time. I was going to say you can you can tell how much joy and and fun it it, at least it seems to me like it seemed like it was really joyful and fun to write because it's so joyful and fun on the page. And I just I like the the witty dialogue like when they're right before they go into I think it's the finals or the semifinals and they're sort of oh it's the semifinals and they're talking to like the team that's doppelganger them and they're just (laughs) like smack talking but then they're like oh my god but like is that what I am is that who I am and then when the two boys on the team are dating and then everyone's like uh hello hello Tanya and Sasha we're talking about you too (laughs) like why aren't you two dating (laughs) I just loved all that I thought that was just so you know heartfelt and genuine and cute and hilarious. We ended up shipping our own romances in this (laughs) Like hardcore. Oh, yeah. Something that was a real new experience for me writing Renegade Rule, and it's definitely something I probably, I don't think I could have handled without Rachel. I think Rachel is so essential to this element of the book uh, working and just being such a fun key uh, component was the romance. Like, I haven't written many romances, and just being able to write that romance together with Rachel was just so much, um, it was just so fun and enjoyable, especially as we just found ourselves shipping these characters more and more. Okay, so who's your top ship, though? Ooh. See, Jesse and the Cone. Jesse and the Cone. Oh. (laughs) No. I feel like... We can't say. We have to wait till everyone else reads it first, and we have to hear everyone else's. Well, who, yeah, who do you guys I, ship? Um, I love two people who like each other, but like aren't comfortable admitting it. So I am definitely on the the Sasha Tanya ship. Like the second oh I picked up on it, I was like, mm? Mm? "Tell me more, <laughs> you tell me more." Mine. That's what I was gonna say. That's very you and I. Yeah. Although I that like is, Gabby uh, and Amanda a lot. Yeah, that's true. The Sasha and Tanya ended up being something that really developed as we were writing it. And boy, do most of our future plans involve, if we ever get to do more, boy, would most of it probably revolve around them. 
That was if that's not too much spoilers. That was what I was gonna ask. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna ask if like if there was a a future there because I'm like ugh, I'm such a sucker for a hinted romance. I will watch like 15 seasons of a show to be like, do they or don't they? And and then they won't, and I'll be like, I'm mad, but it was worth it. <laughs> I needed to know, and now I know. Like Superstore, all I wanted was Jonah and Amy to get together. I wanted it so bad. So I haven't seen that finale to that season just because I heard about the breakup. And now I'm like, well, why would I even fucking bother? I know. Why did I even bother? I, I also was like that. But then I was like, but America Forever is like onward and upward, which like nothing but respect, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but Forever. it was a little weird in the most recent season where you're like, wait, what? You guys were like, endgame. What's happening? Yeah, I'm like. Really wish you just said you were going to do a long distance thing and just every couple episodes be like, hey, Jonah, how's Amy? She's fine. Cool. Yeah, I know. I know. I guess not everybody wants to talk about Superstore. (laughs) This is why Ben Wyatt and Leslie Nope are the only good straight romance. It's true. (laughs) Note, I did not include Jake and Amy in Brooklyn Nine-Nine because Jake is super bi. Yeah, no, for sure. Now I'm like, I've, now I ship Jake with all kinds of people I wasn't expecting. There you go. Oh, go on AO3 and look up Jake <laughs> and Doug Judy. You will find some fans. You know what? Judge Judy? Doug no, Judy. Doug Judy. Oh. Well, now I want to see try that Judge too. Judy. <laughs> yeah, why not? I mean, I'd, I'd read that. Trudy Judy. I want to see Trudy Judy and Amy. That I'm there for. Um, I also want to talk a little bit about, from Renegade Rule, there's this sort of subplot for Amanda, the captain. Where her yes. mother is very ill. And I'm curious why you wrote that in and why you think it matters to the the main plot. So we put that in there as a way to show that Amanda is really not only taking this more seriously than her friends because she's the team captain, but we wanted to give her something that gave her something to fight for in the real world where it wasn't just playing video games and having fun. We wanted her to actually have to play as hard as she could and egg on her team as much as she could so she could get, win the cash prize and use that to help take care of her sick mother. Also, as far as predictions about the near future when American healthcare still being awful felt like a pretty safe bet. <laughs> yeah, that that seems like a... Oh, God, I don't want to talk about it. But I <laughs> I thought it was really compelling. I've I really related to the way that Amanda's kind of you know, distracted when she's around her friends outside of the game. She's, you know, checking in with her mom. She's got other things on her mind. And I think that's because I've always been someone who has sort of like heavy familial things going on. You know, I'm often my mind is in two places, you know, like, and and even just with my partner, I've noticed sometimes my, you know, family will be texting me about something super heavy and I don't want to really talk about it, but it's still part of how I'm experiencing the world, right? So then my partner will make some asinine joke and I'll be like, what's your fucking problem? And they'll be like, what's your fucking problem? And I'll be like, oh, right, you, you weren't on my text messages. Let me explain what my fucking problem is. And I guess it just felt very, it felt very generous to Amanda to just let her be a person with problems and not handle them perfectly. I really liked that. I I knew I really wanted, especially Amanda being a pro gamer, being like a pro at Renegade Rule is her passion, is her dream. Um, but I want you know, I wanted to do a story with a main character pursuing their passion and their dream, but I wanted to also show, you know, that it can be a risky endeavor and 
the guilt that people can feel just for wanting to go after what they want the most out of fear of letting people down. And it just felt like an emotional core to Amanda. Uh, that was just, or just a story worth telling of a more complicated story of pursuing your dream than just a purely, um, I guess as light as the book is, than just a purely glorified look at just following your passion, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it really does. I think that it's it's easy to glorify following your passion, right? Because it's easy to live in imagined worlds where <laughs> things all work out. <laughs> but I do think the ending is better for the fact that it is it's not what we we necessarily want it to be. And I really, really appreciated that as like creators. And I'm curious how you decided to come up with an ending where you didn't give the reader everything they wanted and how you made sure then though that your readers wouldn't walk away being like, well, <laughs> Trying to think of how to say this without too much spoilers. Um, again, as far as sports movies being an influence, uh, I think Bring It On is definitely has its DNA in this book. Oh, my stars. Now that you have said that, I'm like, pew, galaxy brain, I am with you. <laughs> okay, so should everyone go around and say, like, the first time they saw it? Yeah, trying to address that with dancing around the, <laughs> dancing around the spoilers of the ending. I love it. I love it. So it sounds like it's not decided yet what, the, what happens with this property, if it's going to end with this volume or if there might be future. Is that fair? I mean, I can tell you, we sure is, we sure would like to do another volume. Mm. So it's important for us to all go buy it, right? Exactly. Yeah. So you can make another volume. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you want to find out what's going to happen to this, to the healer and the Gatling gun, girl. Gatling gun. That's what I it's do. Called. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Yes, I, I will be there um, buying copies. I love it. I'm very excited about it. I really have enjoyed talking to you too because I love this comic and I don't know. It's just nice to hear your voices and chat about this. Oh, thanks. Agreed. This has been, it's been so great getting to talk with you and talk. Of, thank you so much for letting us come on and talk about the book. Totally. Did we, is there anything that we didn't cover that you, Rachel or Ben, want to talk about? Uh, you know what? I think I just want to make sure to give a shout out to Jim Campbell, who just did a fantastic job uh, lettering mm -hmm. Renegade Rule. Yeah, great Definitely. job. I said on a recent episode that the hardest thing about lettering is when it's so when it's really well done, it disappears, and so it's it's easy to ignore it when in fact it is it's such an important piece of comics. So I, I you warmed my heart doing that. You know what this. Comics, especially, I can only write. I sure as hell can't draw. So any comic project is always a team endeavor. So it was awesome having such a great team for a book about a good team. I was going to say, I see what you did there. Team sport, yeah, team art. You. I like it. I like it. <laughs> so your book is coming out today, correct? So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, Renegade Rule is out today. Uh, you can find it in any comic book store and on Comixology. And you'll also be able to find it uh, real soon in bookstores. Beautiful. Make sure you get out there, people, and pick up Renegade Rule. 
Well, Ben and Rachel, thank you so much. Like Sarah said, it's it's a delight to talk to you about this comic. It is it is top tier, delightful, good times, queer as fuck, and unapologetically so in just the most delightful way. And yeah, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Ben. Rachel, it is so nice to meet you. And I, I look forward to having you both on for volume two and then whatever other projects y'all work on. Thanks for having us. It was nice chatting. This has been wonderful. Thank you again. a podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So (laughs) we can't have it spelled out. It is dot. T-C-H-E-S-O-N-C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. And do you remember there's no I'm bitch? If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm Essie Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at se underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.